My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. I'd like to talk a little bit about discipleship. I have in mind a couple of good series to teach on hermeneutics and some presuppositions that we carry when we approach the Bible, because I want to talk eventually about a study that I'm putting together on dispensationalism and how the Bible divides naturally into stages, divisions, people call them dispensations or ages, and how all that ties back into the covenants God made with man, that Schofield, like he said, you know, most of what God did with man revolves around covenants. I think he used the word crystallize, you know, God's work crystallizes around the covenants. And I think we have often in our circles, the dispensationalism circles, have often spoken a little bit about the covenants, but we really haven't done it justice to to show the connection between the covenants, the dispensations, and then, of course, the theme of the Bible and the kingdom and what God's doing and where we are going with all of this. But before we do that, I've got some other things that I, I want to do. I want to talk about discipleship. This is a series of messages that I gave when I started a church a few years ago in the United States, Harvest Baptist Church. And I gave this series of messages because I wanted to focus the church on, on what I believed was important, what was our job, what we needed to focus on, and to avoid the fluff and avoid the, the stuff that would get us carried away and off track. And so it's a good series. I think it's a good series to start with. I think we need to understand that. And there's some other things that I want to do. I, I, uh, I have some fun things that I, I like to do in the Bible, some studies that I have. And um, I remember I did a, a series on the gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, and I'm thinking of reworking that a little bit. I think the recording on that, I think there was, it was when we were in Costa Rica and we had a, a, a warehouse that we rented for our church, and it was right next to the train tracks. And if I remember right, um, during that series, the train kept coming by. So those are a couple of things I have in mind as I get together some uh, good outline and start putting meat on the bones for the for the study on the dispensations and the covenants and all of that. But, you know, as we start out, it, it all goes back to the same thing. And we're going to start our discipleship series, this discipleship series, talking about our life's purpose. Why are we here? And when I was studying, um, I, I had been maybe a year into this dispensation study, you know, working out some things and looking at the covenants and how God intervened in God's or in man's history. And he would make covenants with man. Most of them were un- unconditional covenants. One or two was conditional. And of course, man messed it up. And and you just look at this sad story of this mess that we have made out of the perfect creation that God gave us. You look at Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve, and the perfect world that they had. You know, Lucifer, you study out Lucifer and his fall and a third of the angels, and they're the demons now. They don't have any hope. And 
And Israel, God gave Israel the the law, and what did they do with it? You know, the the covenant of Moses, and they broke it, and now we have the church, and it's sad. Um, it's sad. It's it's frustrating. It's infuriating. Infuriating sometimes to look around and and you read the Bible, you read the book of Acts, and how Paul would go on his missionary journeys, and you. You see how God used men to develop the church, and you study church history, and you know all through the the ages, the original uh, first century Christians, you know, and then the second generation, the third generation, and how Christianity developed through the centuries, and how the Roman Catholic Church took over, and we got thrown into the dark ages, and then the persecutions, and how God opened it up the the world with the Bible later through the Reformation, and. Of course, the uh, the text of the English Bible being taken to the ends of the earth by uh, British colonizations, and you see men and women with character. You see men and women with uh, focus. You see men and women with um, commitment. That's just rare today. And you look at the mess we've made out of the church. It's it's sad. Like I said, sometimes it's infuriating. It's frustrating to look at the modern church. And how she's painted herself up, almost like Jezebel in the Old Testament, trying to attract the attention of the world. You know, this whole relevance uh, philosophy of you got to be one to reach one. And, and like I said, it's sad. <clears throat> we need to really think about, you know, why we're here. And when I was doing that study, that covenant study, you know, and looking through all that stuff, and you get deep into something like that, and you kind of working stuff out, and like I said, you go through all of these ages and stages and dispensations, and you you have to sit back and you ask yourself, or you ask God in prayer, you say, what in the world is going on? Why would God ever do this? You think about it. If it were me, look at the pain Look at the problems, look at the irritation, the anger we have caused our Creator. What's He get out of it? You know, He, what did He get out of it? A cross to become man and to bear the sin of the world, to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of sin, to be nailed to a tree naked and bleeding before the world, stripped bare, whipped down to the bone, and then to hang on that cross and cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Three hours of darkness upon the land, while the Son of God bore the sins of the world to die and rise three days later, to have your servants, your disciples, take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth and, and fail in that too. You wonder, ask yourself, why did God do all this? So that was one of my, my big questions in my, my dispensation study. What, what's the point, you know? Why did God do this? And it comes right back to this. It's one of the reasons why I was thinking about doing this series. Uh, why are we here? Why did God even do this? And, um, and it's important. When we talk about discipleship, I want you to know we're actually talking about our stewardship that God dispensed a very specific stewardship to a steward named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And then Paul passed that same stewardship on to us. So when we talk about discipleship, what we're going to be talking about is our stewardship during the church age. 
You see, God not only dispensed a stewardship to, to Paul, he dispensed that stewardship to us, and we're stewards, stewards of the gospel. And as stewards of the gospel, this is God's house, uh, the world. It's, it's his. And he has allowed us um, to be in his world, and as his stewards, we take care of his household. And he has established the household rules. Those would be the... Uh, um, the rules for the stewards, their stewardship. And one of the things that God has told us to do in his household is to go and make disciples of all nations. And we're going to get into that very, very specifically uh, in the next few weeks, the Lord willing, in the next few podcasts. And we're going to look at all, we're going to look at all of that. I know there's a lot of people out there that uh, they just grab a hold of that what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and they just run with it. You know, we're supposed to make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, and then they jump over into Mark chapter 16 and just get all confused with the fact that they were making disciples, baptizing people for salvation, and uh, they had signs and wonders following them. So now we've got an entire denomination or various denominations, an entire movement within Christendom of uh, Christians who want to follow the Great Commission of Mark chapter 16. Then there's people on the other side of the spectrum who say that the Great Commission is not even for the church, it's for the Jews. Paul never mentioned the Great Commission, and Paul never said we're supposed to be making disciples. The word disciple is not mentioned in any of the Pauline epistles. And so the people on the other side say the Great Commission is not for us. Well, I, we're going to talk about all that. We're going to get into all the details of that and the anachronisms and the problems that we cause when we don't take the Bible literally. We're going to talk a little bit about hermeneutics along the way, even though we're going to develop that theme a little later. But today, right now, if you have about 30, 35, maybe 40 minutes to hang out or to plug me in while you're driving a car or lifting weights or washing the dishes or doing the laundry, 30 or 40 minutes, I want to talk I want to talk about discipleship and within that context, very specifically about our purpose. And the question I want to answer is, why are we here? Why did God do all of this? And I think this would apply not only to us as believers, as individuals, you know, me living here in the Kansas City area, you wherever you're at, you know, whatever job you have, whatever you do all day long, uh, why are we here? And then, too, to ask ourselves within that context— what about the local church? Why are we here as members of a local body, a local church? You know, that's God's plan for our our age. God, we see that through, you know, God through Paul, he established local churches. That's how we do it. We we go to church on Sunday. Well, what for? What's the what's the purpose? And so I would uh I'd like it if you have some time, stick around and um and think about this for me with with me. Our purpose as a church, our purpose as individuals, is to glorify God. Now, if you're into theology, you like your uh, theological terms, that's doxology, and we'll talk about that again, like I said, a little later when we delve into this idea of God, uh, God's purpose in creation being to glorify himself. We'll delve into that a little bit later, a little bit more in depth. But right now, um, the doxology is that God created us all of this to glorify himself. But that's that's not where we end. That's not where that's not really a, a complete picture. That's that's one side of the coin. And the other side of the coin is 
that uh, the purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Westminster Confession, um, <laughs> in spite of being um, Reformed doctrine, they got that one right. Our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So let's talk about that. That's what we want to talk about today. Now, this is what the Bible says, first and foremost, glorify God. But God is not a narcissist. God is not some totalitarian mafioso sitting up on a throne in heaven. They say, and everybody glorify me. God is omnibenevolent. God is good. You know, when that rich young ruler approached Jesus and he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns around, looks at him and says, why callest thou me good? There is none good but God. God is good and God is none but good. He's all good all ways. He is omni-benevolent. And so within that attribute, we can see that part of our purpose in life, part of God's purpose in making us and creating us, he wants us to enjoy him forever. That's how he designed creation. That's how he designed us as creatures. It's not, it's not drudgery to serve God. You say, oh, I'm going to have to glorify God. I can't do what I want. No, to live in Christ, to live for Christ is gain. Folks, God is not some slave driver. God is good. You think about the job you have. Now, look, I got a good job, okay? I got a good job. I It's, it's just like, four miles from my house. I got great hours. I, I like the people I work with. The work is good. Okay, I got a good job. But is serving the people in my job better or worse than serving God? I mean, you think about that. Think about your job and who you serve. God is not a slave driver. God is the best boss you would ever have. God is good because the Bible says God is love. And because he's love, you know how he's perfect love. You could say, well, I love my wife and I love my kids and I love my dog. Well, God doesn't love like us. Our love is kind of a mess like us. It's all twisted up in the sin problem that we have. Well, God is love. God is perfect love. And being love, God desires the best, not only for himself. We already saw that. Glorify God. But God desires the best for those who are the objects of his love. And those two, two elements work together. They're the two sides of the same coin. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's God's purpose in creation. In us, the creatures he made, were to glorify God. And when we do that, we enjoy him now and forever. So the way to enjoy God is to do that which glorifies him. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever is the purpose of our existence, not only as individuals, but as a church. Listen to Revelation. Okay, Revelation 4, 11. The Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Okay. So let's start from the general and work ourselves down to the specific. Let's talk about the purpose of God, and let's take both of this, both sides of that coin and look at them both. Let's talk first about, about the fact that we exist to glorify God, okay? 
We'll work from the general, talking about all of creation, glorifies God, and we'll work it down to the specific about us as individuals and members of local churches glorifying God. Revelation 4.11 assures us all things were created for God's glory. Okay? Now, there's two ways to glorify God. We're going we're gonna to talk about this, 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 this thing here about, okay, all things were created to glorify God. Well, how do they do that? There's two ways that things can glorify God, by declaring and by doing. Okay, first, a person or a thing can glorify God by declaring God's existence and God's attributes, to put all of that on display. Think about creation. Creation glorifies the Creator, because by creation's mere existence, it declares that there is a God. It points to God. It puts some of God's attributes on display. His infinite intelligence, his incredible design, his omnipotence. You can't look at creation. You look at the macro part of creation. Look out into the universe. And you just stand there and you look at all, look at it all, and you think, wow, God's big. Or you can look at the micro universe within the human body, the design of the human body, the cells, the atoms, the molecules, all of that, all the systems that work together to make a human body. It's incredible. So creation glorifies God by putting on display his existence and some of his attributes. So the mere existence of creation glorifies God. But God is also glorified when we verbally declare his existence and his attributes. When we speak of him, or I like to think of it as bragging on God, you stand on a street corner, put yourself up on a red box and start bragging on God, that glorifies him, that lifts him up, that declares his existence, and it declares and explains some of his attributes for the creature to contemplate. So a person or a thing can, de- can glorify God by declaring God's existence, by, its, by the thing's mere presence, its existence, it declares there's a creator, puts on display some of his attributes, or by verbally speaking and declaring the existence of God and his attributes. And, and in second place, not only by declaring, but by doing. A person or a thing glorifies God by doing that which pleases God, that which displeases God does not glorify or magnify or exalt him. But when a person or a thing does what God wants, according to God's design and God's will, well, that pleases him and God is glorified. So that's what Romans 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. And all things were created, it says, for thy pleasure. For thy pleasure they are and were created. So all things were created to glorify God because all things were created for his pleasure, and that's the original design in everything. That is God's purpose that he built into creation. So when we talk about the fact that we exist to glorify God, all things were created to glorify God. And all things glorify God by declaring and doing, declaring either by their mere existence or declaring verbally, and by doing the things that we're supposed to do, the things that God designed us to do, the things that please God.
that glorifies him. Now, there's two general groups that can glorify God. We can split that up just a little bit. We can talk about matter and moral creatures. Matter, that's just the stuff that exists in, uh, in creation. This is uh, Psalm 19, basically. And I think Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 or 21 around there would also talk about it. The Bible says, Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Okay? So when we talk about matter, we're just talking about rocks and animals and all the things of creation. All of creation, the matter, glorifies God simply because it's there, because it exists. All the stuff in creation, all that stuff that does exactly what God wants it to do, and by, by working the way God wants it to work according to his will and his purpose and his design, it glorifies him. It pleases him. Have you ever seen one of those clocks? You know, one of those clocks that's a mechanical clock, and uh, it has a glass front so you can see all the little gears and the switches and the things moving on the inside. Have you ever just taken a moment just to look at all the little intricate parts and then think about the person who designed that, made all those itty-bitty little gears and switches and levers, and then put it all together in a way that it works to help us tell time? You know, that creation, if you want to think it that way, that design speaks of the designer. And what do you think of the designer? You think, wow, man, that guy's got to be smart. He's got to be agile. He's got to have good fingers. I couldn't do that. And when we look out at God's stuff, the stuff that God made, um, he's the designer. And when his creation, when it all functions according to his grand design, he's exalted. His existence is put on, put on display. His attributes are magnified. He's glorified. And creation displays the creator, his existence, and his attributes. So that's matter, two general groups that can glorify God. Matter. When stuff works the way God designed it to work, it glorifies God. And then the second group is just a little bit more problematic. That second group, we're talking about moral creatures, you and me. We're a little different because we can choose. You know, a rock really doesn't choose what it does when it glorifies God. We can choose to glorify God or not, because God has given us that choice for now in eternity. Obviously, that's going to be a bit different, but today we have free will and we can choose certain things. Moral creatures, we're talking about angels and men. We're talking about creatures, moral creatures, that can discern between good and evil and who have the free will to choose between the two. You do that every day. So when we choose to do that which is right, that which God desires, well, that glorifies him and that pleases him. So moral creatures can choose to glorify God. There's, there's a, a part of our existence just being stuff, matter, our bodies. Part of us glorifies God whether we want to or not. But there's also this moral aspect of our existence where we can choose to to do that which is right and good and godly and biblical, and doing so brings glory to God. But when we choose to do that which is wrong, that which God does not desire, then we don't glorify him and we don't please him. Now, 
for the wrongdoer, the evildoer, the rebellious sinner, when he lives his life in a way that does not glorify or exalt God, he lives for himself, God will in the end always have the glory because he gets the glory in all things. And so if God can't glorify his love as an attribute through a repentant sinner, then he'll glorify his justice in judging that rebellious sinner. So it, it all comes back to Romans Romans 11.36. I know this is probably one of those doxological verses that you've heard a lot. Maybe if you have a uh, uh, study Bible that has titles over the passages in the chapters that says something about a doxology. It's uh, Romans 11.36. Talking of God, it says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. So that's it. All, all creation exists to glorify God because God made everything for his glory. He made everything to declare his existence and put on display his attributes to glorify himself. And so we, to reiterate, as individuals, as Christians, as believers, born-again believers, we as individuals, we as members of our local churches— We've been made to glorify God. That's God's purpose in us. And we see that throughout history. Um, back in the Old Testament, I'm going to read Isaiah 43, 7. Back in the Old Testament, we find that Israel, Israel, the, the uh, God's people in the Old Testament, called out by God um, to glorify God. It says in Isaiah 43, 7, this is God's purpose in calling out and making this nation. It says, everyone that is called by my name, Oh, I'm sorry, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. So God's people in the Old Testament called out by God to glorify him. Well, what about the New Testament? What about us today? We're not Israel. We're not spiritual Israel. We're not the true Israel. We're the church. And uh, that's something else we're going to talk about a lot Holy cow, some people think that we're Israel, some people think we're some sort of allegorical Israel, some spiritual Israel, some true Israel, some circumcised spiritual, I don't know what kind of Israel, and I'm telling you, we're not Israel, folks. Um, we are the church. It's why, you know, it's why Paul said that in Christ there is, there's, you know, there is no Jew nor Gentile. Um, it's just a new creature. We are sons of God, and so uh, we're not the, the Old Testament people just made new in the New Testament. We're not just one people, you know, in the Old, in the Old Testament it was Israel, in the New Testament the church. But, but, uh, we can see, uh, we'll get back on track here, uh, Ephesians 3.21, we can see the same purpose of God. You see, this is but from Genesis to Revelation, from before creation to, to the end, it's God's purpose in doing all this stuff. You just sit back and you go, what, what in the world is, what is, why would he ever do this? Put himself through so much trouble and pain and frustration and irritation uh, with us, the mess that we've made. Why would he do this? And uh, we got the answer. It's right here. It's, it's, he wants to glorify himself and he wants to love us in a way that would uh, would would cause us to to joy in him. So Ephesians three twenty one. I'll shut up and read the Bible. Stop talking about uh, um, our little rabbit trail. It says unto him, unto God and Jesus Christ, unto him 
be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Another doxological statement, God's people in the New Testament during the church age, that's us, sons of God, born-again believers. We have been called out, separated for the same reason, to glorify God. And so that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, what is it, 1031, uh, 1031, Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever we do as a church, whatever we do as Christians, whatever we do, we're to do it all to the glory of God, to please Him, to exalt Him, to magnify Him, to put Him and His attributes on display for all of creation to see and hear. Peter talks about this too, um, 1 Peter 4.11. 1 Peter 4.11. Bible says, 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Another doxological statement. Whatever we do as individuals has the same purpose to glorify God. In all things, do it the way God wants so that you can glorify Him. So let's summarize all that. The purpose of our existence, the reason for which we were created, is to glorify God, to magnify Him, to exalt Him in all that we say and all that we do, that all that we say and all that we do would put Him and His attributes on display. That's what it's all about. It's all about God. What did John the Baptist say? You remember what John the Baptist said when people were saying, hey, Jesus has got more disciples than you? He said, that's all right. He needs to increase and I need to decrease. That's what we need. We are moral creatures. We can discern between right and wrong, and we should choose as individuals and as local churches to declare God's existence and God's attributes to the world and to do always those things that please him. Now, there's one more element that we have to add to this, this purpose statement, because we're not just going to leave it here. Glorify God, glorify God, glorify God, and then give somebody an excuse to say, well, God is just some sort of narcissistic, totalitarian megalomaniac. No, no. God is good, God is love, and God desires only the best for us, his creatures. You know, it's one of the things I say on the street a lot. I tell people, that God did not make hell for men. He made hell for Satan and his angels. God doesn't want any man, woman, or child to go to hell. Okay? He wants the best for his creatures. His creatures often don't want the best that God has for them. So God desires for us to glorify him, yes. But now here's our second point for this podcast he also wants us to enjoy him forever. Here's our purpose. Glorify God, and we also exist to enjoy God forever. And I'll tell you what, it seems to me that this part of our purpose statement is often overlooked in a lot of preaching on doxology and a lot of teaching on doxology, and we need to understand this. Because here is where we see just how good and how kind God is. One of my favorite phrases in the English Bible is loving kindness. 
Talk about God's loving kindness. You know, God wants to wants us to enjoy him forever. Now, we know that God is love. The Bible says God is love, and I understand, I understand. There's probably some of you out there that, that are just up in a wad because uh, God is love, but God is also light, and we need to talk about his justice. And I understand that, and I talk about that a lot. But right now, I'm going to talk about enjoying God, and part of the part of the main part about enjoying God is God's love, okay? 1 John 4, 8, and 9. I'm sorry, I'm going to read down to 10. 1 John 4, 8 to 10. Here's the passage that we're, we're, we're talking about. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth, or I'm sorry, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Okay, there it is. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love. The greatest manifestation of God's love toward us is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in saving us. God gave his son for our benefit. God gave his son for our well-being. He gave his son for our salvation. God's love is perfect. God's love is infinite. And in Christ, once you're in Christ, God's love is unconditional. And because God is love, he delights in those who delight in him. Because of God's love for us and God's love toward us, God delights in us when we enjoy that, when we enjoy him. God enjoys it when we enjoy him. He delights in the fact that we delight in him. And I think the best uh, example that that I have that helps me understand the concept is to think of an earthly father. And I know that's 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 sometimes that's just a bad way of doing things um, because God is our father is totally, totally different than than our natural fathers. But think about the example of an earthly father. For a father that loves his son, what will bring the greatest joy and delight to his heart more than anything else? The greatest joy and delight a father will have is when his son or his daughter just simply loves him and enjoys being with him because he's his father. That's priceless, okay? And God is glorified. God is pleased. He is well pleased when we enjoy him and our salvation. He's glorified when we enjoy him because now, now listen to this, because our joy proclaims to the world God's faithfulness, his goodness, his loving kindness. It puts these attributes on display. When we joy in God, when we enjoy him now today, it puts these attributes on display for the world to see. God is faithful. God is good. God is loving. He is kind. You know, the last, well, that's not, not the last chapter. It's the second to last chapter in the Bible. Revelation 21, the first five verses. Think about eternity. In, in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5, God, God kind of opens up a little window and lets us take a peek out into eternity. He gives us this, this small little window of a glance out into what it's going to be like in eternity future. 
And listen to what he says. I'm going to read the first five verses. I want to focus in on verse 4, though. Revelation 21.1. The Apostle John writing, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now, verse 4, this is eternity future, after the millennium. This is the new creation. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Then he says in that last verse, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. In eternity future, there will be joy unspeakable. That's all there's going to be is joy unspeakable, because there's not going to be sadness. There's not going to be pain. There's not going to be tears. There's not going to be death. There's no sorrow, no crying, or anything like that. There's going to be unspeakable joy all day, every day, for all of eternity. When all is good and all is right, all is just and all is perfect, we will enjoy God forever. So that's why to enjoy God today, to enjoy God today, to delight in Him today, in this filthy, rotten, sin-cursed world, in these bodies of death and carnality, when we joy in God today, it glorifies Him. Now think about that. We're not talking about some silly, superficial, slappy happiness, you know, walk around and hug people and put on a smile and ha, ha, ha. No, this is, this is the joy that was set before Jesus Christ when he went to the cross. This is the profound joy of knowing we are saved, we are forgiven, we have been taken care of by God to the nth degree. We're good. Our joy in God today glorifies God because it is a faith-based joy. It is a faith-based delight. It's not about experiencing some sort of emotion or having some sort of experience in a church service. No. It's about reading the Bible, learning the Bible, understanding what God told you in the Bible, trusting in that, placing your faith completely in that, and choosing to enjoy God because of what he promised you. It is a joy that is based on God's existence and God's attributes. It is a joy based upon the fact that he is there and he is faithful. We believe God and we believe his word, and because of that... We believe that all is well in Jesus Christ, and therefore we have joy. We enjoy God, even though in this world we suffer. We suffer trials, we suffer tribulation, we suffer difficulties. There's pain in this life. 
We know what we have. We know who it is that gave it to us. We know what awaits us in eternity. No more sin, no more suffering, no more death. We know because that's what the Bible says. Let me read to you another passage in Peter. 1 Peter 1.8. 1 Peter 1.8, the Bible says, Whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, believing we can rejoice today with joy unspeakable. Even though we're suffering pain and difficulties and the trials and tribulations that come our way, believing we rejoice with joy unspeakable, a profound joy that is so deep it alters the course of our lives. That kind of joy in God declares to the world that God is good and that he is faithful. That putting on display of God's goodness and God's faithfulness glorifies him. We, the saints, will enjoy God forever in eternity. And we can enjoy God today because he already gave us eternal life. Eternal life doesn't begin at death. Eternal life doesn't begin after the millennium and the new creation. Eternal life began when God saved us. The life we received as salvation is eternal life. We need to glorify God and enjoy him forever, and that means we can start today. We have eternal life today, and Jesus said it was an abundant life. It was in a life abundant with all spiritual blessing. Yes, in our physical life, in our physical body, we will experience pain. Those who would live godly in Jesus Christ shall suffer persecution. But we can live with joy. The joy that is said before is just like Jesus Christ, Hebrews 12, 2. We don't have to wait for eternity. It'll be a faith-based joy today. It'll be a sight-based and experiential joy, joy later, but because it's a faith-based joy today, it's a joy based upon what the Bible says, it's about God's faithfulness. It'll learn your Bible. That's where we got to start. If we're going to have faith in God and we're going to experience a faith-based joy, it's going to be a joy based upon what the Bible says. We need to learn the Bible. If we enjoy God based upon his word, based upon his promises, God's pleased and God's glorified. He's exalted, he's magnified as worthy of our love and trust and joy. We just put on display God and some of his greatest attributes. So here's the point, and I'll finish this up. If we are living in a way that glorifies God, we will be enjoying him. Did you catch that? Let me throw it again. If we are living in a way that glorifies God, we will be enjoying Him. That's our purpose in life. That's how God designed us. If we glorify God, we enjoy Him. So if we're not enjoying God, chances are we're not living in a way that pleases and glorifies Him. That's because God designed a purpose into our existence. It's the way God made this place. It's the way He made us. We're designed by God to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. We're not here to glorify and please men. We're not here to enjoy the world and all the world has to offer us. We're here to glorify God and please Him. That's that's where our focus needs to be. 
to set our affection on things above, to glorify God and please Him. We're here to enjoy God because He is the best. There's none greater. Folks, no one loves us like God. The way to enjoy God forever is to live in, a, in such a way that glorifies Him. That's our life's purpose, and that begs the question, okay, the way to enjoy God forever is to live in such a way that glorifies Him. Here's the question, how do I do that? So how do we glorify God? Do I just sit here and think about God and think good thoughts and then that glorifies Him? How do we glorify God? What is it specifically, exactly, practically, daily that we can do to glorify God and thereby enjoy Him now and forever? How do we fulfill life's purpose? That, folks, is the theme for our next podcast. That is our life's mission. Our purpose is... Life's purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our life's mission is the works that we are to do in order to fill the purpose of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. So if you've made it this far, thanks for listening to my podcast, and I hope you join me for the next one. We'll talk about life's mission. We'll open up the Bible and see just what it is that we can do while on this earth, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish... Tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teología101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you, and come back for more Theology 101.